Have you been waiting for just the right job? Then welcome to the end of your search. Amazon has seasonal warehouse jobs in your area and now is a great time to apply. You can start getting paid right away and work close to home. Applying is easy. You don't even need an interview. So what are you waiting for? Come join the team and get a great seasonal job offer today. Visit Amazon.com slash hiring. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Hi there, Nate Hale here. You're probably wondering what's going on. This is a special bonus episode of The Conspirators in which I got to interview Ed Denzel, host of the Unfound podcast. In this interview, you'll get to hear how Ed got his start podcasting and quite a bit about his show. Each week on Unfound, Ed interviews the loved ones of people who have disappeared without a trace and through them tells the story of how they went missing. Be sure to tune in this Monday, May 1st, when we'll be back to our regularly scheduled program, and I'll have a new episode featuring a strange tale from history. And now, here's the interview with Ed Denzel. All right, for starters, tell listeners a little bit about your show. My show is a missing persons program. I, I, I concentrate exclusively on missing people. I don't do unsolved murders. I don't do serial killers or conspiracies or anything like that. And within that genre of missing persons, I, I go out and try to find some cases that most people haven't heard about. Uh, obviously, there's the well-known disappearance of Maura Murray. That's probably not a case I'm ever going to do on Unfound. Uh, the case of Jennifer Kessie, another well-known one, probably won't ever cover it. Um, Tara Grinstead, of course, that one's been solved. That's not a case probably uh, that I ever would have done. So I get out there, I go to charlieproject.org, I go to NamUs, and I start looking around and looking at cases that kind of catch my eye. And then being that I've done so many of them so far, I've actually gotten to the point where my guests who have been on previous shows, who have lost loved ones, the missing persons community is uh, very tight. Everybody knows each other. And I've actually had guests who then contact me later and say, hey, I know this family member, this mother, this father. Will you talk to them about the person that they lost in their life, their daughter, their son? Absolutely. So it's primarily missing persons, uh, all missing persons, and it's usually cases that not a lot of people know about, but I want to try to bring them into the public consciousness, I guess. Uh, what made you decide to focus on missing people? You know, I love mysteries, and I think that uh, the the disappearance part of it is the the... You know, it's real life puzzle. It's a real life mystery. Even with like a murder, and I trust me, I want all murders served as well. But, you know, the body's there. They usually know how the person has died. But with disappearances, you just don't know. Is it a murder? Is the, was it suicide? Was it somebody who ran off, you know, to start a new life? And that adds to me another layer of it. On the human side, I've gotten to know after doing the the show for six months that it seems like missing persons families have the most pain because they have no answers. People, unfortunately, have had a, a family member murdered. It's a little bit different uh, with missing persons people. Everything that that comes up with them is about not having any answers, not just a few answers, but any answers. And if I can change their lives in some way, uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to do that. 
Um, years ago, when I first got my start, I used to work as a newspaper reporter. And I, when I started having to like go to talk to the families of people who had experienced tragedy, I found it often a little bit difficult because I feel like I was intruding. So, like, do you ever find um, any difficult talk, difficulty talking to the people involved in the case? Uh, at the beginning, yes. Uh, I can tell you the first call that I ever made to anybody connected to a missing persons case uh, was Mary Lyle who is the mother of Suzanne Lyle, who disappeared in Albany, New York in 1998. That was her daughter. And I had a lot of apprehension. I was very nervous, very. And Mary Lyle is a prominent person within the missing persons community. And now, these days, Mary and I are good friends, but at the time, she had no idea who I was. And I was apprehensive, but she was so um, considerate. She was so understanding. She understood what I was trying to do. I think that she figured out that, I, that I'm a guy who's very serious about this. And ever since that call, of course, all of the calls have gotten um, easier. I'm not saying that every family, I get a lot of rejections. I send out a lot of emails that don't get any response, but I've seen over the months that the percentage is going up. I would say probably at the beginning it was like four out of five would not respond. Now it's probably down to about um, two out of five, let's say. So maybe it's a combination of me just refining what I'm doing and also word about the show is getting out there where more more people are willing to talk to me. Um, what's your background? What made you get into podcasting, for example? Well, uh, I have an entertainment background, although I would not call my program entertainment. I would call my program a news show. I, I don't think that I'm here to entertain people. I'm here to inform people. So that's a little bit different. But I do come from um, an entertainment background where I did a lot of speaking. I worked in Las Vegas behind the scenes. I was an actor, but I was a stage manager. I worked on magic shows and things. So. I'm kind of used to dealing with audiences and groups and people listening or watching. That's kind of where that comes from. And then ever since I was a kid, uh, I've been interested in disappearances. I think in the previous uh, conversation that we had where I interviewed you, we talked about the, the show In Search Of, Unsolved Mysteries. As a kid, I watched those shows. I'm 46 years old. And um, so I kind of, yeah, right. So I kind of combined both of those into doing this. And podcasting is a very powerful medium. It's much more powerful than radio because with radio, you have to be in your car. You actually have to have a device there. But with podcasting, you can download it to your phone. You can download it to your iPad and take it anywhere. And knowing that... Uh, I think the podcasting can be a way that a lot of these murders and disappearances and things can can get solved. And so just kind of combined all that, heard about podcasting, actually has, has, have done a little bit of it in various forms over the years. And then I started doing this and it's I'm doing this for about a year, although Unfound is only started in September. Is there a particular case that stuck with you more than others? You know, I, I don't like to pick out cases like that. I think that's very unfair to uh, any of the people involved. All the people who have been on my program have ha have suffered equally. 
Um, although I will say in a couple cases, uh, it's been reporters. It hasn't necessarily been family members. So I think it would be unfair uh, for me to say that one is more interesting or anything else, any other kind of word like another. But I will tell you, in particular, one that has really stumped me as to why it wasn't known more is the one I just did this past week, and that was the disappearance of Peggy and Patty McDaniel. They disappeared in Pompano Beach in 1979. Um, They're twins. They were fraternal twins, not identical twins. But here was a mother, Joyce Rivetuzo, who I've gotten to know very well, who lost two daughters on the same night. And when I started looking into this case, the only thing I could find about it was a Reddit thread that isn't even correct and one picture of one of the daughters. And this disappearance is also connected to a murder because a guy that these two girls knew was murdered the same night they disappeared. And still, 38 years later, it seems nobody knows about it. There's so little information out there. and. I think that it's always going to be fascinating to me trying to figure out why there's all these cases over here that have gotten all this attention and duly noted. I want all of this, these cases solved, but then there's all these cases over here that nobody ever seems to talk about. That's, that's always going to be a topic on my show. And so I'm, I'm trying to delve into those disappearances that, you know, you just, it's hard to find information unless you talk to a mother, a father, a brother a sister. And that's why I have those people come on the program. So I'd say that most recent one is a good example of what we're trying to do on Unfounded. That is into prominence uh, cases that a lot of people don't know about. Do you ever talk to members of law enforcement? I have. In fact, uh, only one though. Um, And he's going to be on an upcoming uh, episode. It's probably going to be like a special episode. Uh, I I have to tell you, I am, of course, a supporter of law enforcement, but they're only going to tell you so much. And what I found over the doing the show in which I've interviewed maybe 35 to 40 family members, not all of them end up being on an episode for one reason or another, but for at least 35 to 40 uh, family members is you find out a lot more from them. They can give you their feelings, what they remember, and everything else. Whereas law enforcement, I'm not saying they don't want to be helpful, but on the other hand, they don't want to do anything that is going to ruin the integrity of the investigation. Whereas with with family members, most of them are to the point where they don't even care, in some cases, if the person even goes to jail or not. They just want to know what happened. And that's, yeah, that's, so I think that for the, my program is all about solving cases. And I consider every show that doesn't lead to the solving of a case to be a failure. So my goal is to get out as much information as possible. And that's why I do these long interviews with family members. And with law enforcement, their goal is a little bit different than my goal. And so um, if I talk to one, it's more in the context of some cold case, uh, an organization, a group. And that's why just recently I talked to a detective of a heads up a group called ASOC, A-I-S-O-C-C. And his interview is going to be on an upcoming episode. 
That sounds great. I yeah, I have actually have a bunch of I have a bunch of um, police officers in my family there, and I know one thing I've learned um, is well, you're right. Obviously, they do hold tend to hold things back. I also know that from talking of my brother and other people of other law enforcement officials like that, they've told us things like. A lot of times, the police actually know have a pretty good idea of what happened to the individual or what ha- or who's responsible at least. But I mean, yeah, they hold things back because they got they got to prove it in a court of law. So right, do you ever, right, do you that's ever, right. Yeah, do you ever feel like there's any case you've covered there that um where you know you or the family members have a pretty good idea of what happened, but just unfortunately it's just unable to be proven. I would say, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm going to say probably in about a 50% of the cases that I've done so far, you have a pretty good idea of what happened, but there's just not enough evidence. And on my program, anybody listening to the conspirators, if they want to check out Unfound for the first time, you're going to see that we hear that we name names. And that started on the the very first or second program when Mary Law mentioned her before, she just comes right out in, in the episode that I conducted with her and says who she thinks did something to her daughter. And, she, and she's not afraid to do that. Um, so I would say in about 50% of the cases, uh, yes, we do know the rest of them. It's kind of a vanish into thin air type of situation. Maybe I did the disappearance of Jason Jolkowski. That's one where, he just disappeared into thin air. Regina Marie Boss, a woman in Nebraska, she disappeared uh, into thin air one night after playing some music at a, at a local bar. I'd say it's about 50% either way. I know, obviously, I mean, it's something, uh, it's a hard thing to say, but obviously in a lot of Kim and Persis cases, obviously we're uh, talking in many cases about, you know, a murder. They just haven't fought and discovered the body yet. Do you feel there are yeah. some of the cases you've done where the person is actually probably still out there and can be found? Uh, well, let me, let me think. Um, yes. Well, I did do one recently, but it's not, um, I did the disappearance of Claudia Wells who uh, was a woman and I interviewed her daughter, Robin, and she disappeared in 1995, and then Robin found out in, I think, 2013 that her mother was still alive, just coincidentally, from a picture that was taken in the Santa Monica area of homeless people, and her mother was one of these homeless. Wow. Uh, that, yeah, and her mother suffered some from some mental illness, and people want to listen to that episode. They can, they can see, um, you know, find out the whole story. So I would say there's one, at least one that I've done where I believe uh, the person is still alive, but that isn't a woman who I think was running away from her life. She had some mental issues, uh, paranoid schizophrenia that I think led her away from her family. Now, as far as people actually consciously wanting to change their lives and change identities and things, haven't done uh, not too many of those, uh, to, to my knowledge. Maybe that's what happened in a couple of these cases, but not to my knowledge. I hear that theory a lot in a lot of Mr. Chris's cases, but yeah, honestly, honestly, my my gut tells me there a lot of them are unfortunately are you know the victim of foul play or you know, or they've gone off to or, or like you say the woman who's had a, had a mental breakdown and now is living as a homeless person there. I think it's more in those cases, right. and I don't think there I don't think there are as many of those ones wanting want to run off and start a new life somewhere. But I don't know what your thoughts are on that. That that's right. I, I think that. Um, if we do have a lot of cases where people have just gone off, I don't know how many of them are actually 
a person in the right frame of mind who just wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm sick of my life. I'm going to move from one coast to the other coast. I'm just going to show up in some town. I'm going to fake my way to get a new driver's license. And we know people can do that in these days, even with all the protections and everything. Uh, I think a lot of these cases where people have disappeared and you don't believe that, that a murder has been committed or anything, I think it does have to do with mental illness. I'm, I learned so much uh, talking to Robin about her mother, because Robin heads up a, a, an organization, Missing and Homeless, where she is reuniting homeless people who everybody thought was missing with their families. And she's having great success. Like, I think the average she's doing is like two a month. And she started this in 2015. She's, I think, over 40 homeless people she's put back with their families. And I think a lot of that is going on in the United States more. I can't speak for other countries, but for the United States, I think more of that is going on than people just getting up one day and deciding, I just want to go live a new life and everything else. It's just a suspicion that I have. Oh, that's been, well, that's actually fantastic. And it's good to hear there's, you know, some hope out there for some of the oh, people yeah. to be reunited. So, absolutely, absolutely, Nate. Yeah, it was a fan. I, that that uh, episode that I did with Robin what was the the theme was hope, because a lot of families out there don't have hope. They think that you know the family members never coming back or committed suicide or was a victim of murder and you know and ended up in some unmarked grave somewhere and uh, there's probably more of these missing people still alive than we realize it's just maybe some of them are just living off the grid um you know. my show of course deals with a lot of a historic a lot of historical crimes um I know yeah. one of your Cases are more are more modern in context. Or have you ever got any plans possibly doing anything from further back? You know that's a, that's a great question because I have thought about that. Um, you know, I had a plan at one time, and unfortunately, I have not followed through with. I still remain in contact with a guy, but he and I have not had a conversation yet. There is a guy. His name was. Please don't mess this up, Ed. His name was Jim Thompson. He was known as the Silk King. And he vanished in Thailand. He was at the time he was a very famous worldly guy. He was he was part of the OSS during World War II, which of course then became the CIA. Yeah. And then he started this silk business in in um Thailand and was well known, rich, everything else. He just went out for a walk one day and disappeared. That is a case that is on my list. I just haven't gotten around to contacting the guy who is the, the, the supreme expert on that disappearance and has gone there many times and what he suspects happens. And I know what he suspects happened. I don't want to talk. I don't want to reveal anything. But um, that would be a case that I see from history uh, that would be interesting to me. And maybe uh, at some point down the road, maybe I'll talk to somebody about, for example, the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Maybe somebody from that that Tiger dot org organization that has those expeditions out to that island, you know, once every few years. Maybe I'll get the the the, the head guy from that on sometime. So, yeah, that that might be interesting. Sure. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of thing would be interesting to my listeners too. Um, well, yeah. you, uh, how about you tell us tell your um tell us my listeners where they can find you online and where else? I am. Um, 
I am pretty much everywhere. I'd like to think I'm on Instagram at Unfound Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Unfound Podcast. Also, um, we have a uh, Unfound Podcast discussion group, which it's a private group, so you have to be allowed in. I, I, I like it that way because. The discussion can be then. We don't have any trolls or anything like that. And that is a place where my guests on the program can talk to the listeners. So listeners can get on there after the episode and talk to that guest, you know, offer sympathies, offer help, ask questions. And so it's a very controlled atmosphere, which is what I like. And already uh, we've had some goings on between listeners and guests where these listeners start taking an interest in one of these cases and do start doing their research, which is exactly why Unfound exists. I want to engage people to get involved. I think so that's, that's one of the, the great Unfound things po- about the internet. It's like that way, you, the yeah. way people have become their own websites and they have gotten involved in so many of these cases. That's right. And that is, that is my main goal. And, and, that, and so that's why on my program, you know, some of my episodes can run a little long compared to your average true crime show. They go almost 90 minutes, but really of those 90 minutes, I don't talk that much. I have a intro at the beginning of like seven, eight minutes, and then I do a summary at the end of about 10 minutes. So let's say a total 20 minutes of me speaking, and then it's an interview in which I only talk about 10% of the time. And I just let the person go and ask questions that I think my listeners would ask. So uh, you can find me at Unfound uh, Podcast Discussion Group. Love for anybody to join and join in the conversation and talk to some of my guests uh, who have been on there and, and the and people have conversations back and forth. Just not about unfound cases, but other things in the news. And then, of course, you can find uh, me at Potomatic, find Unsound at Potomatic. And then, of course, everybody, I think, is on iTunes. Uh, you can you can find me there as well. And once in a while, I post on uh, Reddit. I post the show on Reddit. I post it on WebSleuths. And I also once in a while do some commenting and back and forth on podcasts uh, we listen to on Facebook. That's a page on there that a, a lot of pod. Maybe you probably know about that page um, as well. I'm on the, I'm yeah. on there too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those are the places uh, that. People can find me on uh, the email is unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And I think at some point in the future, I would like to get a YouTube channel going with the shows playing with pictures and everything. But right now I'm trying to figure out the upload issues because hour and a half long shows of our hour and a half long video. It takes a very long time to upload at least with my internet connection. And I've had some problems with that, yeah, with the problems in the past. So I'm still trying to work around that, but maybe somewhere down the road, um, we'll, we'll be on uh, YouTube as well. One new announcement maybe I can make to everybody that I'm going to be starting a book where I'm going to bring all these cases together. I'm going to have the transcriptions of the interviews. I'm going to have the facts of the case, the contact information and everything. And I hope to have what I would call just volume one of the cases I covered in the first year of Unfound out on Amazon. Hopefully the one year anniversary of Unfound, which would be in September. Maybe people will be able 
people maybe be able to uh, find the program that way because I want to branch out. It's just not podcasts. I want to put this into written form because, as you know, a lot of people don't listen to podcasts. That's true. You know, they, they, they don't. <laughs> they, you know, you know, they should. You're exactly right. Um, but it's a technology that maybe some people aren't comfortable with. Uh, they just don't know, whereas they feel much more comfortable having it on an ebook or an iPad. And as long as this, you know, the, the program is always going to be based on solving cases. And so as long as that is the theme and that's always going to be the theme, then I feel responsibility that this program, the information that we dig up by interviewing this guest needs to be able to be accessed anywhere. And so that means you have to be in all media forms. Yep, absolutely. Well, yeah. I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you for. Uh, I'm happy to be on the Conspirators. You're doing a great show, on Nate. Well, thank I, you. I enjoy it. I've listened to several episodes. Very well, nice. Thanks so much. I've been listening to yours from for quite a long time too. Thanks. Hey. Thank you. Hey guys, Nate here. I want to thank Ed Densel for taking the time to talk to me about his show. In exchange, if you head over to Unfound. Ed has released a special interview with yours truly, in which I talk about some of my favorite stories and what it takes to put together an episode of The Conspirators. I also hope you'll join me again next week, when I'll release a new regular episode of The Conspirators next Monday. Talk to you then, and thanks.